gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. I lay back on my analyst couch and told him what's frustrating me. He said the trouble with you is you can't cope. Then he asked me for a $50 fee. But first, how are we doing? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this, the latest episode of The Musical Man. I hope this episode finds you well. I hope that you are safe. I hope that you are coping. (laughs) That's a big theme. That's a big theme of this week's subject. And it's a big theme right now in life in general. So I hope that you are keeping it together. I hope that you are finding solace in your friends, your family, and in yourself. And I hope that we can just keep telling ourselves that week in and week out we've been doing it. I believe in you. I believe in myself. I believe in us as a listenership. Yes. <laughs> I have two quick points in this opening segment, and then we will dive right into the show facts for Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Okay, point number one, I realize I never answered the question of whether or not Hades Town deserved to win the Best Musical Award back in 2019. I jumped over that question. I did not answer that question. My answer to that question is as follows. Yes. And then, right, right as I was about to record, I got a suggestion for the Cream Pie Cutie Club from listener Jenna, and that suggestion is Brandon Victor Dixon, and I am sorry to report that despite the fact that Brandon Victor Dixon has several Broadway credits, yes, cha-ching, yes, he jumped over the first hurdle, the second hurdle is, as you'll recall, he has to be in my mind, he has to be capable of throwing me on my back and turning me into a cream pie. And I've looked at many an image of Brandon Victor Dixon, and I apologize, Jenna, I thank you for the suggestion, but... I must deny access to the Cream Pie Cutie Club. I'm sorry, Brandon. I apologize to you, Brandon Victor Dixon. But I must make my decisions honestly. And so I come to this conclusion honestly, and I pronounce it honestly to the world. And now, having said that, I will dive into the show facts for Don't Bother Me, Don't, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. For goodness sake, I've been looking at this title all week. You think I could get it right? Show me those show facts. Okay, I will. Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope was a 1973 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 19th, 1972 at the Playhouse Theater before moving to the Edison Theater in June. 1972. The production ran for 1,065 performances and is currently the 109th longest-running show in Broadway history, sitting between Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark at 108, 1,066 performances, and The Pajama Game at 110, 1,063 performances. The book, music, and lyrics were written by Mickey Grant. Grant was the first woman to write both music and lyrics for a Broadway musical. The director of the production was Vinette Carroll. Carroll was the first 
first black woman to direct a Broadway production. Carol also received a conceived by credit per the IBDB. The musical director of the original Broadway production was Danny Holgate. The choreographer was George Faison. The scenic design was by Richard A. Miller. Lighting design by B.J. Samler. Sound design? N.A. No sound design credit this time around. Costume design? Edna Watson. And the original Broadway cast was as follows. This is the complete list. Alex Bradford, Hope Clark, Mickey Grant, Bobby Hill, Arnold Wilkerson, Alberta Bradford, Tommy Bush, Charles Campbell, Gerald G. Francis, Ben Harney, Leona Johnson, and Marie Thomas. Tony nods. Okay, so what was the show nominated for? Well, it was nominated for Best Musical, of course, but it was also nominated for Best Book of a Musical, Mickey Grant, Best Original Score, Mickey Grant, and Best Direction of a Musical, Vanette Carroll. Ultimately, the show did not win any of those Tony Awards, so four nominations, zero awards at the end of the day. Now, in regards to the plot, a copy of Mickey Grant's book, The Script of Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, a copy of that book is available at the Harold Washington branch of the Chicago Public Library system, but I will not be commuting unless it's absolutely necessary. I could have requested a transfer of the book to my nearest branch, blah, 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 but it would never have arrived on time. A one-week turnaround? Ah, come on. I love the CPL, but I do not expect them to work miracles. This is all to say I've yet to confirm what Don't Bother Me is actually about in terms of the, you know, the nuts and bolts, the text of it. The show is a review and thus structured as a series of vignettes but I wonder, do any of the characters, this is just one question I have, do any of the characters from one scene appear in another, or does each scene stand on its own in that sense? The IBDB credits each cast member as either a performer, singer, or dancer, so if anyone did play a named character, I've yet to confirm it. Here's what I was able to confirm via Wikipedia. Quote, The all-singing, all-dancing show focuses on the African-American experience with songs on such topics as tenements, slumlords, ghetto life, student protests, black power, and feminism. Quote, We'll get additional context on the show's throughline when I read the liner notes for the OBC album. From the OBC album, I should say. The only other statement I can make with reasonable confidence is that Don't Bother Me seems to be firmly set in the 1970s. In other words, it does not jump around in time to other points in history. Side note, the CPL actually has a number of scripts for shows we've covered as of late, and I want to get my hands on all of them. Don't Bother Me, of course, but also Funny Girl, Dear Evan Hand, the Happy Time, and The Light in the Piazza. I think we'll eventually record a roundup segment about those scripts once I'm able to snatch them up all at once. But for now, I must exercise patience. Patience! Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what I looked into in regards to research sources. What did I look at? What did I look at? What did I watch? What did I listen to? Okay. So regarding a, a potential Tony Awards performance, I recently expressed confusion. Eh? as to when Broadway musical performances became a reliable convention of the Tony Awards. And after reading up on the 1973 ceremony, I find I am more confused than ever. The cast of Pippin performs magic to do, but the companies of Sugar, A Little Night Music, and Don't Bother Me are conspicuously absent. And you might be thinking, well, perhaps they simply didn't have the time. <laughs> they had the time, all right. An enormous chunk of time is dedicated to the ceremony's theme, 
that being the wide world of Broadway. When Vernon, Holly Kelly, Helen Gallagher, and Donna McKechnie dance and sing about the international appeal of Broadway for a good seven minutes, seven minutes, seven. Entire segments are dedicated to footage from assorted international productions. I'm not saying this wasn't worth anyone's time. It's interesting, but as a balancing act, this broadcast was a disaster. You can have your theme while properly showcasing all of the best musical nominees. It's not that difficult. P.S. Vernon, Kelly, Gallagher, and McKechnie are dressed in spacesuits during their wide world of Broadway number. They very much look like hot dogs wrapped in aluminum foil. Hot dogs, anyone? So I was not able to watch a Tony Awards performance because one did not exist, and so I had to rely on the 1972 original Broadway cast album of Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Here's the thing about the Don't Bother Me album. It's this close to being totally unavailable to the public. Used copies of the vinyl edition are available through Amazon, but if you're looking for a CD or digital or streaming options, you won't find them. And that troubles me because this is exactly how musicals wind up lost and forgotten. If a recording exists, we need to ensure its preservation, right? Is there no one out there who could finance a remastered edition of the Don't Bother Me recording? These are not rhetorical questions. Thankfully, an enterprising fan of the theater has made the OBC album available via YouTube, albeit as a single 50-minute block of audio. I have taken the liberty of dividing that audio into individual tracks. So, if you want to check it out or add it to your collection, you will find a handy Dropbox link has been made available on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is, as always, at MusicalManPod. I also transcribed the liner notes, uh huh, here we go, the liner notes from the OBC album, which were written by Edward Padula. Padula produced Don't Bother Me, Bye Bye Birdie, and a number of other Broadway plays and musicals. Don't Bother Me proved to be the last show Padula produced before his death. Ah, okay. Bit of a grim note to end on before we go right into those liner notes, but let's read those now. Quote, There is an unmistakable sound in that moment of silence when you become aware that you are in the presence of and listening to a new voice in the theater. One day, about a year ago, the darkness of Vanette Carroll's little urban arts core theater up in a loft down on 20th Street was suddenly illuminated as if by the Aurora Borealis with the new voice of Mickey Grant. It was a heavy journey Cope traveled from that workshop production conceived and directed by Vanette Carroll to Broadway. She and Mickey set out to create a work together to say, in her own words, Quote, that coping is a basic commitment of a mature, purposeful, involved human being, that the ways we are similar are far greater than the ways we are different. Quote, that is the substance of the piece which has carried us from the Library of Performing Arts to Historic Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., two runs in Philadelphia at the Walnut and Locust Street Theaters to the Vest Pocket Theater in Detroit, Back into rehearsal in New York under the relentless rehearsing of Vinette and the ceaseless outpouring of Mickey. 
Finally, on Wednesday, April 19th, 72, we opened at the Playhouse Theater. Here, nightly Mickey's voice as a writer and unique performer and the entire superlative cast can be heard raising the roof of the beautifully converted 100-year-old church. It is a spirit they create of evangelical joy. The sound of the black and white audience together, really together, laughing, clapping, stomping, shouting right on, and at the finale, rising in a body to its feet in joyous approval is something not to be experienced in any other theater on Broadway today. It's a paean of joy, a ritual, a celebration, an eerie echo of 3,000 years of theater. T.E. Kalem best expressed it in Time magazine, quote, All heaven breaks loose on the stage. The cast is so agile that it defies the laws of gravity, and the singers have such richly resonant voices that they could bring down the walls of Jericho. This is the kind of show at which you want to blow kisses, Quote, Despite her formidable credits as an actress in the theater and on a daytime TV serial, Mickey Grant seems to have come out of nowhere as a writer. Her voice is a voice of a real human being, thinking and searching out her conscience and singing out an affirmation. With her words and her music, she is on her way from that nowhere to somewhere. Mickey Grant's written herself into existence. Quote. Okay. I said quote a lot. He was quoting other people. The last quote you just heard that closed out the liner notes from Padula, Padula, I should say. And now I just want to list all of Mickey Grant's other writing credits, additional theatrical writing credits for Mickey Grant. Okay, here we go. Crocious and the Witch, Step Lively Boy, The Prodigal Sister, Your Arms Too Short to Box with God, The Ups and Downs of Theopolis, Maitland. Yeah, Maitland. I'm laughing, but I ain't tickled. Alice. Working. Okay, working. I think that probably is the most recognizable of the shows that I mentioned so far. I believe that will be recognizable to many musical minions, but also Yubi. It's so nice to be civilized. Phyllis. Step into my world. And finally, Carver. Don't underestimate a nut. Those are all musicals, by the way. Grant's musicals were being produced from the early 70s through the premiere of Carver in 1996. Would that we all could be this productive. Another fact that bowls me over, Your Arms Too Short to Box with God premiered on Broadway in 1976 and reappeared on Broadway in 1980 and 1982. Can you name any other musical that premiered and was then revived on Broadway twice, all within less than 10 years? That would never happen now. Never, 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 never. Truly astonishing and inspiring. Seeing as many of our listeners may be unfamiliar with this week's subject, I want to make sure we hear from each of the 13 tracks on the OBC album. Admittedly, some tracks inspired more reflection than others, but skipping over any of them would be a mistake. Let's start with I Gotta Keep Moving. I've gotta keep pushing, pushing, Lord, pushing. Pushing, Lord, pushed a long way from where I've been, but I've gotta keep pushing till I push on in. I've gotta keep moving. Keep moving. Oh, I gotta keep moving. 
truck to travel. Nobody has a map, but I know one day I'll find a way. Hey, I gotta keep pushing. In case the liner notes from Edward Padula weren't clear, the defining theme of Don't Bother Me is endurance, coping. How do those within the black community cope with life when so much of it is a test of endurance? In what ways should life be improved? And how do we help make those changes come about? The aim of Mickey Grant's musical, I believe, is to showcase the wide array of voices that seek to answer those questions. The wide array of voices and perspectives, I should say. Now, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. were and remain unmistakable icons of the 1960s civil rights movement, but they were hardly the only ones on the scene, and their ideologies didn't rest on opposite ends of a binary spectrum. Movements are always more complex than the distillations found in most media and history books, and I believe Grant wanted to make this clear to her audience. The opening number, I Gotta Keep Moving, wastes no time in evoking a landscape of contrasts. Alex Bradford sounds as if he has the weight of the world on his shoulders, climbing uphill one arduous step at a time. But there's determination there. There is exhaustion and determination in his delivery. And just when he's settled into his rhythm, the rest of the company enters with an eruptive shift in energy. That energy is celebratory but restless. It exposes a desire to shake the world out of its lethargic stupor once and for all. I really enjoyed the hard turn this number takes, and it quickly proved to be one of my favorites from the show. The window pane is broken With us coming on in And I'm getting tired of Scraping Jack Frost off my skin If you were looking from my side, All right. you might even start a Bother Me, I Can't Cope premiered on Broadway a few years before Bubbling Brown Sugar, but in some ways it reads as a preemptive dismissal of that show's idyllic portrait of Harlem. If you'll recall, there's a number from BBS in which a wealthy white guy marvels at the sights and sounds of the neighborhood. He loves Harlem so much that he winds up buying an apartment building. I never knew I could feel 
as great as this wow I really got shot full of rhythm it shouts dance forever the beats in my heart Harlem's my kind of heaven oh neat but waltzing through Harlem and living there are two entirely different matters a sentiment Grant lays out via the one-two punch of Harlem streets and looking over from your side. Her lyrics, as delivered by the supremely talented Bobby Hill, draw a clear connection between living conditions and the type of anger that fuels a violent uprising. To quote Mickey Grant's lyrics, quote, Looking over from your side, it's nothing but peace and quiet. But if you were looking from my side, you might even start a riot. Quote, Bobby Hill delivers these lines not once, but twice. And on the second go-around, he stretches them out to startling effect. The effect is impressive and instructive. Attention must be paid. Are you listening? You can't celebrate the history and culture of a place, like Harlem, while overlooking the needs of the people who live in Harlem. Black people are not pit-stop curiosities, and if you manage to walk away from this number without digesting this point, don't worry, Grant goes out of her way to ensure you get it eventually. I jumped in a taxi at 1 a.m., but the cat wouldn't start the meter. I said, listen, fella, I'm going downtown. He said, I don't go there either. I said, don't bother me. I can't cope. That sign says you can't refuse a fare, so you or that sign better take me somewhere because it's 1 a.m. All right. And I can't go. Mm. He said don't bother him. That not. He can't go. You know, I asked my boss for a raise in pay, and he said you should have asked me yesterday. Wages were frozen today, you see, so all I can give you is sympathy. And I said, what did you say? Don't fool with me, man. Because when my stomach starts growling, I can't cope. He said, don't bother him. He can't cope. Ralph Abernathy said to Jesse Jackson, Operation Bread Basket's doing fine. Mm -hmm. But no, the little Jesse Hunter go stand in the corner until you learn how to stay in line. Jesse said, she. Now you know I can't cope. I'm not hiding my light. No bush. I know you got pull, but I'm gonna get pushed because between Operation and CLC, Operation SNCC, Operation Negro, Operation NAACP, Operation Core, and Operation Richard J. Daly, I can't cope. But you gotta go. Grant is working with a set of references that range from the general to the highly topical, and you can find examples of both within Don't Bother Me's title number. But be they general or topical, all of these touchstones speak to conversations we are still having in 2020. Racism in the service industry? Check. Income inequality and wage gaps? Check. Finding a therapist who actually understands what black patients go through? Check. There is a highly relatable fuck-the-establishment sentiment on display here, one I'm certain would play well today. If you can't help me, if you can't give me what I need, you're useless. But it's not enough for me to know you're useless. You need to know it too, and so I am telling you. 
The therapy angle struck me as particularly forward-thinking on the part of Grant. Therapy as a topic of conversation was still relatively taboo in the early 70s, so for her to not only bring it up, but address how it was failing the black community is really groundbreaking. I do want to expand on one of the more topical references Grant includes here, that being a conflict between Ralph Abernathy and Jesse Jackson. Both men worked as members of Operation Breadbasket, an organization, quote, dedicated to improving the economic conditions of black communities across America, quote. Jackson had a falling out with Abernathy and went on to form Operation Push, People United to Save Humanity. The song has a clear affinity for Jackson and an antipathy for Abernathy, as well as former Chicago Mayor Richard J. Daley. No specific complaints are leveled against Daley, but it isn't difficult to determine why he would have been a target of derision. One example, on April 15, 1968, a mere 11 days after MLK Jr.'s assassination, Daley held a press conference on the state of Chicago and made this statement. I said to him very emphatically and very definitely that an order be issued immediately under his signature to shoot to kill any arsonist or anyone with a Molotov cocktail in their hand in Chicago and to issue a police order to shoot to maim or cripple anyone looting any stores in our city. And above all, the crime of arson is to me the most hideous and worst crime of any and should be dealt with in this fashion. I was disappointed to know that every policeman out on the beat was supposed to use his own decision. And this decision evidently was his. In my opinion, he should have had instructions to shoot arsonists and to shoot looters. Sounds pretty similar to the rhetoric we hear today, does it not? And I'm not merely talking about law and order Republicans like Donald Trump, I'm talking about guys like Joe Biden, who recently suggested cops should be trained to maim, not kill. Shoot him in the leg, not the heart. This is what a lot of people would consider compassionate liberalism. Fighting for Pharaoh. Fighting for Caesar Fighting for good King Arthur Fighting for glory Fighting for power State or religion Fighting for jurisdiction And territory Dying for slavery Dying for cotton and for oil and gold Dying for country
fighting for Pharaoh may invoke the spirit of your typical tent revival, but it isn't asking for blind faith in God. If anything, it's asking us to question everyone who demands faith and service from us. The lyrics cite an unnamed Pharaoh, Julius Caesar, and King Arthur as examples of leadership. They're an odd bunch, to be sure. One is a broad generalization, the pharaoh. Another is an actual figure from history, Caesar. And the third, King Arthur, is an entirely fictional creation. It's weird. But by considering them, you wind up considering the wide, wide scope of human history. And with it, the untold number of people who have asked us to fight and die in their names. And for what? Fighting for Pharaoh is asking us to question who we fight for, and how those people benefit from our fight. Our time and energy, our lives are valuable, as is the time we spend meditating on how our time, energy, and lives are spent. What fights are actually worth our presence? And are those battles fought in pursuit of a better, more just world for all? Good Vibrations is a direct follow-up to Fighting for Pharaoh and appears to take place within the same tent revival context, but it's less probing and more a direct shot of energy. I have no substantial thoughts regarding the number, but let's hear a bit of it anyway. Yeah, in the morning when I wake, if I can see the sun, I feel talk about you think I got rhythm slash they keep coming slash my name is man three songs for the price of one and we're going to hear a bit of them all I do say we'll begin at the top of the track with you think I got rhythm heart surgery and sit on the Supreme Court and invent shoe lasting machines and write books and play and sing Verdi and Puccini and become heavyweight champion of the world. They keep keep coming. coming. It doesn't take much effort to pick up on what Grant is laying down here. The performers are pointedly addressing their audience, affirming that yes, we can do everything your internalized stereotypes would assume of us, but we are also capable of so much more. Stop pigeonholing black people as laborers or entertainers and realize we are active in every field imaginable. We are all around you. See us. I will admit this is exactly when my own racism took over. Yes, yes, I thought. A very good point. But I don't need to learn this lesson. I'm not in the fifth grade. 
I'm not an ignorant monster. I realize black people can be doctors and adventurers and such. Done. Case closed. But Mickey Grant was waiting for me on the other side. Oh, you found my song to be a tad quaint. Uh, did you? Old-fashioned, huh? Do me a favor and keep listening. And so I did. Let's now hear a bit of They Keep Coming, the midsection from this sequence. You can stop a rose from growing if you nip it in the bud. You can stop a brook from flowing, but you cannot stop a flood. They keep coming. They keep coming. From the Mississippi Delta to the Louisiana Bayou, from the grandsons of the grandsons of the kings of Timbuktu. They keep coming. They keep coming. From the Midwestern stockyards and the arid western plains, come the freedom seekers and the breakers of the chains. They keep coming. They keep coming. From the ivy halls of Harvard and the dark hallways of Harlem. They keep coming. They keep coming. They keep some by Underground Railroad. They keep some by DC7. They keep some by Mule Train. They keep some by Cadillac. They keep coming. They keep coming. Running, walking, limping, crawling, never stopping, just the coming. They keep coming. They keep coming. They keep With coming. Their humor and their laughter they and their coming. rhythm and their blues. They keep their coming. jazz and gospel they keep and coming. many varied hues. They keep coming. They keep coming. They With keep coming. Dust and their tractors. And their soul coming. food recipes. They keep coming. Coming. And their hammers. And they their train from running. You can turn a stream aside. You can stop an army coming. But no man can stop the tide. They keep coming. I mean, for crying out loud, talk about an effective expansion on theme. Yes, we've established that black people are here, but now we're establishing that black people are here to stay. You can keep dismissing, disenfranchising, imprisoning, and killing the black people of this country, but there will always be black people and allies who take their place, and they will come from every corner and class of society because they are the true representation of society. With They Keep Coming, Grant moves away from dusty, abstracted figures like pharaohs and King Arthur to focus on the men and women who have directly informed her worldview. When she says they keep coming, she knows exactly who takes up residence within her heart and her mind. Those people are as follows. All of these people are referenced in the song. Nat Turner, the leader of the 1831 Slave Rebellion in Southampton County, Virginia. Sojourner Truth, the abolitionist and women's rights activist. John Brown, the abolitionist and advocate for armed liberation. Paul Lawrence Dunbar, the lyricist for the 1903 Broadway musical In Dahomey, the first to feature an entirely black writing team and cast. Phyllis Wheatley, the first black author of a book of poetry. 
poems on various subjects, religious and moral, published in 1773. Lorraine Hansberry, the first black woman to have a play produced on Broadway, A Raisin in the Sun, 1957. Langston Hughes, the jazz poet and leader of the Harlem Renaissance. Harriet Tubman, the abolitionist who freed slaves via the Underground Railroad. Medgar Evers, the civil rights activist who helped overturn segregation at the University of Mississippi. Michael Schwarmer, Andrew Goodman, and James Cheney, activists who worked for the Congress of Racial Equality to promote voter registration in Mississippi in the 1960s. John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States. Bobby Kennedy, the 64th United States Attorney General and a New York Senator. Malcolm X, the civil rights activist and spokesman for the Nation of Islam. Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party and founder of the Rainbow Coalition. And finally, Martin Luther King Jr., the Nobel Prize winning organizer of the Selma to Montgomery marches and the 1963 March on Washington. These references come at us quickly, and in several instances, we're only provided with last names, so I'm hoping this list is complete and, more importantly, accurate. Two commonalities stand out when you look over these names. Many of them are firsts in their respective fields, as was Grant and director of Annette Carroll, and many were assassinated as a result of their activist efforts. But, as the song says, they keep coming. Those who live will not forget the names of those who came before them, their triumphs will not go uncelebrated, and their work will not be abandoned. Grant's material is direct and uncompromising, and I appreciated that. The third and final portion of this sequence, My Name is Man, is arguably cornier and more theatrical than the preceding two. Let's hear some of it now. When my father saw his son, he said, I'm naming this one. So he pondered hard and long. And if you think the name he laid on me was Rastus, you're wrong. My name is man, lusty, bad, and loud, stubborn, black, and proud as I want to be. Just call me man, and I've just begun to be the kind of one I'm gonna I'm coming through like a man. Again, a bit goofy when compared to the likes of They Keep Coming, but Grant is obviously interested in exploring a variety of tones, and I don't fault her for that. A message can effectively be delivered in a thousand ways. Why wouldn't you take several different approaches? You Think I Got Rhythm is cool and instructive. They Keep Coming is bold and unflinching. My Name is Man is, you know, a kind of dopey, pretty outdated hippie anthem. Who am I to say the kind of corny hippie anthem should be off the table? There are worse things. Power 
is exactly the song you would expect upon hearing its name, a funky flower child rebuke of capitalism and all the other forces that would seek to divide us. It's not deep, but not every song in Don't Bother Me needed to be a dissertation on society's ills, and I believe Grant understood that wholeheartedly. Sometimes all your musical needs is a groovy dance number steeped in positivity, and Love Power fits that bill nicely. review of Don't Bother Me points out how Mickey Grant doesn't appear on stage until late into the evening, which is what I noticed while listening to the OBC album. The first half is very male-oriented, while the second places Grant at the forefront and keeps her there for the remainder of the show for the most part. Questions, which we just heard, is one of three ballads Grant has written for herself, all of which call to mind the low-impact, lava-lamp-liquid style of Joni Mitchell. The other Mitchell-adjacent ballads, It Takes a Whole Lot of Human Feeling and So Little Time, which we'll cover in a moment, proved to be a minor case of diminishing returns, as Questions is easily the best and most affecting of the trio. What's so affecting about it? Once again, it boils down to the sharp shift we take in the track's final moments. Meditation and rhetorical questions are dismissed in favor of outrage and difficult answers. The following sections stood out to me. Quote, If I sit in, I get arrested. If I break in, I get arrested. If I shout, nobody answers. If I knock, I'm Uncle Tom. Quote, Grant is acknowledging the push and pull found within every activist movement. What is the best, quote-unquote, best way to fight injustice when all forms of activism are met with varying levels of indignation, disgust, hysteria, and or violence? This is, of course, yet another conversation we're still having today. It's one thing for an activist group to weigh the pros and cons of strategies and tactics, 
but a portion of the division found within those groups is actually seeded by those who oppose them, who stand outside of and against those groups. Politicians and everyday citizens love to dictate what is or is not acceptable in the sphere of protest, but no matter what you present to them, it will always be branded as unacceptable. Sit-ins, taking a knee, disruptive, offensive, un-American. Protesting in the streets, tearing down monuments, chaotic, obnoxious, un-American. Voting? No way. Close all of the polling places. Get the fuck out of here. We don't want you to vote. We don't want you to protest. All we want you to do is get out of our way and shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. How dare you complain as we slowly crush your throats. How is this not crazy making? Where do we get off questioning or qualifying the anger felt within the black community? Our white supremacist system expects black people to suffer in silence while we wipe them off the face of the earth? Fuck off. Black people are killed by cops on a regular basis, but the second a Wendy's goes up in flames, you'd think the nation was sliding ass backwards into the fiery pits of hell. Consciously or not, Anyone who sneers at an organization like Black Lives Matter, let's say, participates in a form of gaslighting that is as old as time. Their questions, their questions are not rooted in genuine concern, and they are not asked in good faith. They aim to sow division within the ranks of activism. If we can get them to fight amongst themselves, we won't have to listen to them, essentially. Crazy making. You know, I overheard a man say, that he wouldn't hurt a flea. And he said, if a fly lit on his nose, he just let it be. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just stupid, but it's hard to understand that same man wouldn't even shake my hand. major event we have to keep in mind when discussing Don't Bother Me is the Vietnam War, which in 1972 was three years away from its miserable end. Between the war and the number of assassinations that led us into the 70s, the specter of death in America would have been completely unavoidable, and I can only assume this would have greatly informed Grant while composing a song like It Takes a Whole Lot of Human Feeling. With this number, Grant stresses how it takes a hell of a lot more work for people to be decent to each other than it does to denigrate and kill each other. I continue to appreciate the plain spokenness of Grant's lyrics, particularly her economic description of a man who prides himself on being nonviolent while refusing to shake her hand. God knows there are so many people right now in this country who would describe themselves as compassionate or open-hearted while refusing to lift a finger for others. You see it in their racist actions, of course, but also when they choose to, oh, I don't know, cough in someone's face on purpose. It takes no energy at all to be that fucked up. 
if it seems like I'm analogizing a lot this week, it's because Mickey Grant successfully got my gears turning. The music of Don't Bother Me may not stick with me. These Joni Mitchell-style songs tend to form a mush in my mind. But the ideas they present. The songs present ideas that will always remain with me. Now, that said, I have no clue what Grant is trying to say when she sings, quote, And sometimes I have to wonder what strange plasm we're made of when we have to ask computers whom to love. Quote, uh, computers? I'm obviously missing something here. I don't know. See that back? See that hand? You think I can tote a bar? Well, I can and lead millions in peace, and discover blood plasma. And conduct symphony orchestras. And make it to the North Pole. Oh, oh and, and pick, pick cotton. Regarding the reprise of You Think I Got Rhythm, this is the second track in a row to reference blood plasm. Not blood plasma. I'm fairly certain, I'm fairly sure, everyone is consistently saying blood plasm. Is this how we referred to plasma in the 70s before some scientific distinction was made? Granted, the audio we're hearing is, again, from a vinyl rip, so my ears could simply be uh, playing tricks on me. I'm just invested in working out the topical components of the show. I'm curious. When I was a lad of 10, in weather hot or cool, the white kids rode in a big yellow bus while I walked nine miles to school. Today, white folks have changed their minds, and so they fuss and cuss, because now they want to walk to school and leave the driving to us. to offend me. She was such a caricature. And Amos and Andy made me mad. They were stereotypes for sure. But they've stopped all that offensive stuff. Darkies crooning oh Susanna, we've got Archie Bunker now. And that's pure Americana. Time Brings About a Change comes directly out of the rhythm reprise, and the game it's playing could not be more simple. Things used to be that way, now they are this way. When I was a boy, the white kids took the bus while I walked. Now, white people refuse to take the bus because all of the drivers are black. When I was young, I punched a white boy out for referring to me as black instead of Negro. Now, Negro gets you a knuckle sandwich, and everyone is black. Inviting a token black person to your party used to be hip, but now that black people are moving into the neighborhood, the white people are moving out. Self-explanatory stuff, right? Time brings about a change. The scenario I want to focus on is rooted in pop culture. A member of the cast makes reference to a Bueller, maybe it's Mueller character, who was incredibly offensive and is compared to Amos and Andy. I wasn't able to confirm who this Bueller-Mueller character is. Please let me know if you have any info on that. But for those who are unaware, Amos and Andy was a popular radio show that starred two white guys, Freeman Gosden and Charles Carell, as stereotypical black characters. 
characters, Amos Jones and Andrew Hogg Brown. The program ran from 1928 through 1960 and was adapted into a sitcom by CBS in the 1950s. Anyway, the point this verse makes is that while caricatures of black people used to rule the airwaves, now everyone is talking about Archie Bunker on All in the Family. All in the Family, another CBS sitcom, ran for nine seasons and starred Carol O'Connor as Bunker, a proudly racist buffoon who was mocked for his attitudes. O'Connor went on to star in a spin-off series, Archie Bunker's Place, which ran for an additional four seasons. So yeah, viewers clearly loved Archie Bunker. Grant Snidely refers to the character as, quote, pure Americana, quote, which is fucked up on some level, right? On the one hand, replacing flatly racist depictions of black people who are meant to be laughed at with a white racist oaf we're meant to laugh at, that can be viewed as some amount of progress, sure. In both instances, we're weaponizing comedy. We're using it to either dehumanize an entire race or bring to task those who would dehumanize an entire race. Two decidedly different goals, one more noble than the other, sure. On the other hand, was it really worth making a character like Archie Bunker the star of his own sitcom? Giving a person like that a platform and normalizing his behavior? Painting him as someone who's racist, yeah, but a human being at the end of the day? Did that have the effect that was intended? Or did it fuck us up even more? Because there are a whole lot of people walking around right now who would say laughing at Archie Bunker is just as bad, if not worse, than racism. Ooh. If you laugh at Archie, if you make him feel bad, you're alienating him. And that's wrong. Guys like Archie represent the real America. He's not some woke hipster snowflake and you can't ignore him. His voice matters. Pop culture is fucking nuts. I don't have any commentary regarding so little time, so let's just enjoy it. I don't know why. 
Mickey Grant duet, Thank Heaven for You, stood out to me because, unlike every other song from Don't Bother Me, it reads as small in scope, intimate. This is about two people expressing their love for each other. It's domestic. And that makes me want to read Grant's book all the more because I would love to know what dialogue, if any, leads us into this song. I like the song a lot. It reminds the listener that within these big conversations about race and justice are people who are directly affected by those conversations. Individuals leaning on each other. That's what keeps a movement bigger than all of us alive. Surprisingly, the themes of All I Need resonate clear as crystal in July 2020. The black community doesn't need pity, tears, thoughts, or prayers. It doesn't need a bridge named after John Lewis. It needs the passage of the Voting Rights Act. It needs this country to wake up and pass legislation that improves the lives and ensures the safety of black people. Men, women, children, cis, trans, gay, straight, bi, queer, the neurotypical and the neuroatypical, those with disabilities and those who are able-bodied, all black people. Everyone wants to live their life with dignity and a full set of tools at their disposal. And America is failing its black citizens in both regards. We're not giving black people the tools they need to live fully enriched lives, and we're not allowing them to live, period. Nothing about this country is worth preserving if we can't agree on how it desperately, desperately needs to change.
Don't Bother Me comes to a close with a reprise of I Gotta Keep Movin', one that takes to task every white composer or lyricist who chooses to write material for black actors. I'm looking at, uh, let's say you, Shaman and Whitman. I already viewed Hairspray's I Know Where I've Been as a painful embarrassment, but when compared to I Gotta Keep Movin', it's an unmitigated disaster. If you're turning to musical theater for a perspective on the black experience, get it from black writers who write for black performers. I just want to end our deconstruction of the score with one more quote from the lyrics by Mickey Grant. Quote, We're a long way from where we've been, but we've got to keep moving till we move on in. Quote. Now, normally at this point in the show, we would hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee, but we have a brand new $10 a month patron by the name of Dave. Dave, hello. Thank you so much for being a patron to The Musical Man. That's fantastic. And as a $10 a month patron, Dave has earned a special musical shout out. And so we are going to hear that now. Take it away, musical shout out. Well, hello there. It's me, Sweeney Todd, back again with a musical shout-out for our latest patron, Dave. Hello, Dave. Would you like a shave? Shave and a haircut two bits? (laughs) I'm kidding. It's on the house. Sit in the chair, Dave. May I take your hat? Hand over the hat, Dave. Let it go. Let it go. Give me the fucking hat, Dave. (laughs) Dave. As you can imagine, um, bum, bum, bum. I was quite eager to make a um, bum, 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 return appearance on this podcast. I was, after all, the first musical theater icon to be featured on The Musical Man. But what's this I come to find? I'm expected to perform in the style of Walt Disney. That's what you asked for? <laughs> no chance, Davey. No chance. No way. I won't do it. No, no. Cry all you want, Dave. It won't make a lick of difference. This is Sweeney Todd you're talking to. I don't care about you or your dreams. A dream is a wish. Dave's heart makes when he's fast asleep. And if you're not careful, Dave, I'll make it so you sleep the big sleep. The big, 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 big sleep. You got me? Feeling cozy in my chair, Dave? <laughs> Tell me, Dave, have you ever heard the wolf cry to the new corn moon? Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Perhaps I'm being too hard on you, Dave. You did request my appearance, after all. Do you look up to me, Dave? Admire me. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. <laughs> well, if you're going to be like old Sweeney, you must be swift as the cursing river. With all the force of a great typhoon. With all the strength of a raging fire. Mysterious says, the dark side of the moon. <laughs> Are you taking notes, Dave? I've mentioned the moon twice. 
Look, Dave, what can I say? I like you. I do. Ooey, ooey, ooey. But I simply cannot tarnish my image by associating with the likes of Disney. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Cartoon mice. Uh, bum, bum. Magical fairies. No way. They're G-rated. I'm R-rated, baby. Riddle me this. When was the last time Dumbo slit a man's throat? He would never. Me, I slit throats all the live long day. I can go the distance. And so it is with a heavy heart. I must bid you adieu, dear Dave. I'm afraid I'll have to send you packing on a one-way trip till your prospects take a terminal dip. Your assets frozen. The venue chosen is the ends of the earth. Whoopee! Goodbye! See ya! Patron Davey! <laughs> oh, Dave is gone. I'm alone. Was it wrong of me to turn him away like that? The fellow was only trying to win my affection, and I'm afraid he was victorious. Oh no, sweetie, you fool. You could have told him. You could have put yourself out there for once in your godforsaken miserable life. What would I say if Dave were here right now? I suppose I would say you'll be in my heart. You'll be in my heart. From this day on, bum, 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 now and forevermore. What is that from? The Ladder for Time? Hmm? That's a Disney movie, right? No, perhaps it's the Prince of Egypt? That's a Disney movie, right? Quest for Camelot? Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest? We're back! A dinosaur story? All of those are Disney movies. Oh, this is going to drive me crazy. Final thoughts regarding Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. I'll admit, I wasn't bowled over by the Don't Bother Me score. It's solid and often a hell of a lot of fun, but I found I was more interested in the context of the material and its ideas than its sound. My hope is that I've portrayed the show's intentions accurately while understanding I can only understand so much as a white man. Above all else, I want to hear more from Mickey Grant, which is why I'm set on obtaining that copy of the book I promise I'll report back on it when I have something to report. What about Funny Lady? I, okay, I have not watched Funny Lady. I have not watched it. Now, for your edification, in 1973, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was A Little Night Music, and the other nominees from that year were Pippin, and a show we've covered in the past, Sugar. As I've stated previously, A Little Night Music has a soporific effect on me snoozer and sugar is about as average a musical comedy as you could ever find and while i respect grant's work the pippin score simply pops a lot more for me i'm not saying pippin is a masterpiece but it has earned a firm 
Hmm. Place in my heart, and so I must award it the best musical medallion. Uh, I've come to this conclusion before, and uh, I remain consistent. Let's rank Don't Bother Me, I Can't Go against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. I am placing it at number 31 between Les Miserables at number 30 and Funny Girl at number 32. That's right. And of course, as always, if you go to our Twitter profile at MusicalManPod, if you head on over to the likes section, the first tweet you'll see will take you to a Google sheet. Click on the second tab. You can see how all of the shows are ranked. The list is right there on that second tab. Show-related ephemera. Okay, we got a couple of goodies here. I have a clip of Mickey Grant performing alongside the 2018 New York City Center Encores cast of Don't Bother Me. She is 90 years old in this clip. She is currently 91 years old. She is still very much with us. Is she a tiny woman? You might be wondering. Oh, she is so tiny. Let's hear the clip. She said, don't bother me. Yeah. I can't cope. Again. She said, don't bother me. I can't cope. I can't cope. She said, don't bother me. That's what I said. I can't cope. And I meant it, too. She said, don't bother me. Uh-huh. I would now like to hear a bit of the 1959 Dodie Stevens pop song, Pink Shoelaces, which was written by Mickey Grant. It's really fun. And take it away, Dodie. Now I've got a guy and his name is Dooley. He's my guy and I love him truly. He's not good looking. Heaven knows, but I'm wild about his crazy clothes. He wears tan shoes with pink shoelaces, a polka dot vest, and man, oh man, he wears tan shoes with pink shoelaces and a big Panama with a purple hat band. Deep sea fishing in a submarine We go to drive in movies in a limousine He's got a Port Liberty and a 12-foot yacht Ah, but that's not all he's got He's got tan shoes with pink shoelaces A polka dot vest and man, oh man He wears tan shoes with pink shoelaces And a big Panama with a purple hat band Now, normally, this would be the point of the show where we take a ride on the musical carousel to determine what musical we're going to be talking about next week. But because we have a brand new $10 a month patron in the form of good old Dave, Dave gets to stop the carousel and tell us what musical we are going to be talking about next week. He has the power. Dave has chosen the 2005 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 1,575 performances, and it is Monty Python's Spamalot. So we will talk about Monty Python's Spamalot next week. Thank you again so much, Dave, for being a $10 a month patron. Oh, I hope you enjoy that musical shout-out. I want you all to go. I want ye all to go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially, just like Dave. As a reminder, at the top of August 2020, we will be making the first of our donations to the Black Lives Matter organization 100% of 
all of our monthly Patreon payouts will always go to the Black Lives Matter organization starting at the top of August. And I just want to reiterate that. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month via Patreon. If you donate one dollar a month, you get a shit ton of stuff. You get Monday early access to episodes from the main feed. So while everyone else is waiting until Wednesday, you get them on Monday. Those main feed episodes. It's true. You also get a verbal shout out. Okay, so let's do that now. Let's do that now. Thank you so much, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Mark S, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. As a $1 a month patron, you also get random bonus episodes. That's right. Bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, and Hamilton via Disney+. Plus. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy. Radio Boy is a special short-form series for which I talk about my personal life while listening to some of my favorite songs. Songs from outside, from, from beyond the world of the musical theater canon. And finally, as a $1 a month patron, you get access to monthly episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man. That is a series for which I watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. This month's theme is Go Off. It's the Go Off trilogy adaptations of off-Broadway musicals. We're talking about Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We're talking about The Last Five Years and Stuck. I'm going to record that episode right when I'm done with this episode, okay? So that's dropping July 29th. $3 a month. What'll that get me? Well, it'll get you everything I've already mentioned, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. Dave chose Sweeney Todd in the style of Disney, and that's what he got, baby. You also get season one, ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school music podcast. Now, let's say you donate $5 a month. You get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I talk about here on the podcast, like Dave did with Spamalot. Hello. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera Season 2, coming October of this year. You also get my review series, my Broadway in Chicago review series, and you get Shout About It, Volume 1, a collection of 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the the first 25 episodes of the podcast. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus season one, 12 episodes of The Snug Club, a special series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And then starting in April of next year, we're going to be doing a series called Turn It Off that's going to be a weekly series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. That's true. That's a far bit away. That's a, that's a good bit of time away in the future, but just keep that in mind. If you've ever thought about upgrading, if you're a current patron, if you're waiting to decide where you want to go, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, that could be an incentive for going to the $10 a month tier. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. Take a moment to write a five-star review. You might be listening to us through Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. That's musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to my wonderful friends and associates, Patty and Benny. Thank you so much to my good friend, Alex Green, for our beautiful logo. And thank you so much to my good friend, Zach Little, for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, come on. You know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off and good night.